When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code SPOTIFY to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code SPOTIFY at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code SPOTIFY. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back to the Final Four is not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron. And we are back to preview Wisconsin, who comes to the Breslin Center uh, on Saturday, Christmas. Uh, Rod, Wisconsin, Badgers come in 8-1, and 1-0 um, in the Big Ten uh, after a win over Nebraska uh, the other night by 14. Um, slow start to that one. They only had three points after about 12 minutes of play, but then uh, sort of found a way to claw their way back in and winds up winning by 14. Um, but if if you look at Wisconsin so far, uh, the defense is up to three. They're usually a pretty good defense uh, through Greg Garden and just in general, but uh, even a little bit better up to three. But the offense, 13, um, which is pretty pretty high for for Wisconsin. Well, it, it it fits in in a lot of in a lot of ways. It fits the general profile when you look at Wisconsin from a team perspective, it fits the general profile of what Wisconsin basketball has been for the last almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, as you mentioned, their offense and their defense are both from the top 15. Their defense, they really do two things at a high level. They limit your success shooting the ball inside the arc, and that's because they play that pack line defense. So they're they're putting bodies beneath the arc and, and with feet touching the lane. That's what we're talking about. And so it means that it's congested around the rim typically. And the theory with it behind it is if they can limit your success shooting twos, they'll take their chances with whatever else you might do. Now, they're not nearly as highly rated against the three, but they're not giving up a ton of threes in terms of attempts. So thus far, it's played out very well. So they do that very well. They limit your success shooting twos, and they defensive rebound very well. And those are standard issue traits of Wisconsin basketball going back to Bo Ryan, and honestly, even before that, to Dick Bennett. Dick Bennett didn't play exactly the same way that Bo Ryan and and Greg Gard play, but in terms of overall effect, pretty close. 
Mm. Um, so those elements are there. On offense, they're doing one thing that good Wisconsin teams always do, and that's valuing the ball. They're not turning it over very much. Um, what they're doing at an extremely high rate of success thus far is shooting the three. They're at 41% plus as a team. Wow. It's a really good number. Um, and you're going to hear it as we go through the individuals. A lot of guys who are having really strong seasons thus far shooting the three. Uh, they're not nearly as good inside the arc, but which is kind of a little bit surprising to me because they've got two skilled big men. Um, you know, their, their guards aren't great penetrators, but they're smart. They're not going to take a lot of bad shots, but, um, you know, the key with this Wisconsin team, I think is as best you can, you got to find ways to limit the three because that's how they're really hurting people. Mm -hmm. Uh, they don't put much into offensive rebounding. There's much more of a priority on floor balance and, that will be doubled down against Michigan State. They're, I'm sure the first order of business for them in the scout is get back in transition. You don't want to have runouts against you. And over the years, Wisconsin's been pretty good in that area. Given the experience of this team, I would expect this team to do a good job against Michigan State's transition. They're going to do everything they can to win it. Um, so yeah, it's standard Wisconsin. I mean, they're eight and one. Truthfully, by all rights, they should be nine and zero. Oh. They they flat out gave away the game in the end to Marquette. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really a bad decision by an experienced, smart. Led to a foul, which then led to free throws. There was a missed free throw, but a rebound and a putback by Marquette to win it. Uh, that was a game that Wisconsin had, and they gave it away. So they could very easily be nine and zero. But uh, they, as it stands, they're eight and one. Um, you mentioned they they struggled with Nebraska in the Big Ten opener, but ended up pulling away, winning by fourteen. Um, the previous game to that last weekend, they played a Louisville team that, frankly, was not itself. You know, their best <laughs> player was out. They hadn't been able to practice much. It was their first game back from a COVID. Um, um, isolation period, quarantine period, and uh, it looked like it. Wisconsin won by, I don't know, it was about 40, something yeah, like 85 that. 85 to 48. Yeah, they just blew them out. So that that's, that's going to look like a better win than it actually was probably on the resume because I, I don't think Louisville was great, but they're not nearly that bad. Um, so, so it's a good start for Wisconsin, but, hey, none of this is a surprise. Mm. I'll, I'll return people's attention to our season preview, picked Wisconsin to win the league. And to be honest with you, based on what I've seen thus far, uh, I don't feel any compulsion to change that. I don't think they're heads and shoulders above everybody else. This is not like Wisconsin in 2015, the mm. Frank Kaminsky group, where they were just so clear-cut superior to everybody else in the conference. That's not the deal here. They very easily may not end up winning the league, but for right now, when I look at how Illinois played, I look at Iowa, I look at Michigan State, uh, Rutgers got beat tonight as we're recording this on, on Wednesday night. Uh, so after they beat Illinois, so we're, we're already seeing the Big Ten kind of start the way I figured it was going to be, which is dog eat dog night to night. It's a war every night. 
I just don't see anybody right now to me that looks better. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. Uh, so for starters, uh, and these are all going to be familiar names, uh, very experienced yeah. team. Um, Dimitri Trice, six foot redshirt senior, uh, averaging 11 points a game, three and a half assists, 41 from the floor, 38 from three and 71 from the line. Yeah. Th- those numbers are just in keeping with who he's been. You know, Dimitri Trice is, has never been a guy who was prone to the spectacular. He's not a spectacular athlete. He's a six foot player, six one. So he doesn't have great size even for the position. Um, you know, there's nothing about him that wows you. Even as a shooter, you know, he had I, one year, maybe it was his, it was either his freshman or his sophomore year. He was, I think, in the high 40s. I'd have to look back at it. But he had one year that was really, really big from a, a three-point shooting perspective. Other than that, what he's doing this season is kind of who he's always been. Mm. You know, he's not going to go out and knock down, you know, seven out of eight in a game most likely. But he's steady, and it's. I heard Tom Izzo's um, press conference today, and he talked about that. That Demetric Trice is just a guy who has just steadily gotten better, and I think that's true. Just incrementally, he's gotten a little bit better every year, and now what you've got is a guy who's been in the program forever. So he's in his fifth year at Wisconsin. He also did a prep school year after four years of high school. So. I didn't look to confirm this, but I'm thinking Demetrix probably about 23. Yeah, 24, 24.7. <laughs> almost 25. Almost 25. Okay. Not a surprise, I guess. So think about what impact that has. You know, he's he's got uh, the, the level of experience that he has is off the charts, and this is – this is a team where all five of the starters we're talking about are at least seniors. And what I mean by that is there's a couple of guys, and Trice is one of them, who have been around more than four years. Mm-hmm. They had redshirt for one reason or another. So um, it's it's why he's emblematic of why I thought that they were the favorite. This season. Because you've got a who's been around forever, understands how to play, understands what Greg Gard wants at both ends, and for the most part is going to deliver that with a minimum of fuss. I mean, he's got a better than three-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio, so that's standard issue for their point guards. They don't make mistakes. They're not going to go out and do Cassius Winston, Denzel Valentine-type things typically, but they're also not going to make mistakes. That's Demetric Trice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another guy that they got, well, very similar really in numbers to Trice, David, Brad Davidson, 6'3", senior, uh, 11.3 points a game, 40 from the floor, 47 from three, uh, and 88 from the line. Yeah, he's having, you know, I talked about how there's a lot of guys we're going to talk about with really gaudy three-point shooting numbers. That number is for Davidson. He's a guy who, if you would have told me when he was a freshman – that he would have a year like that shooting three, I wouldn't have been surprised because to me, and I think we might have talked about this in the season preview, he's had a good career at Wisconsin, but I don't think his career has been quite what I assumed it was going to be when he was a freshman mm-hmm. because I thought he would really be this kind of shooter earlier. If you look at his shooting numbers for the last couple of years, they're okay, but they're not great. This year so far, he's been great. 
And if he continues to be even a low 40s three-point shooter, that's a huge weapon for them. Um, he, everybody who's listening to this, I'm sure, knows the deal with Brad Davis. And he, it seems like he's been around for generations. <laughs> he's in his fourth year there. He's in his fourth year as a starter. That's the thing that's exceptional about both he and Trice, which is not always the case for guys at Wisconsin. Um Certainly it was the case under Bo Ryan, and it, to some extent it's still the case under guard. Wisconsin makes heavier use of red shirts mm-hmm. and, and just player development for guys early in their careers. They might not play a lot, but they play more as they go. Trice and especially Davison are exceptions to that. They were guys who played heavy roles pretty much immediately. In Trice's case, I think he was a backup. I remember correctly, he was backing up um, Jimmy Jackson's son mm-hmm. in his first year, but he still played a lot because of some injuries, et cetera. Davison has been a starter. So if it seems to you like he's especially been around forever, like even more than most Wisconsin players, that's why. Because you've seen him every game for four years. That doesn't always happen with them. Um, they like to develop guys over time, not with Davison. So he's having a great year shooting the ball. Um, he's second on their team in assists, generally makes pretty good decisions. He's never been a pure point guard, but he's solid as a secondary guy in that way. Um, and then everybody who's listening to this knows about his reputation. You know, he's a guy who has, depending upon what vantage point you're viewing him from, is either extremely competitive or a bit of a cheap shot artist. And, you know, there was a stage where he got on the wrong side of the officials in this conference. Um, it was either last year or the year prior, maybe, where all of a sudden they just would not call a charge for him when he would attempt to draw a charge. He was just continually getting whistled for blocks because his reputation for being a flopper had gotten so extreme that officials started to cut the other way as a just as a knee-jerk reaction. Mm. Uh, this Wisconsin team, from what I've observed, seems to be getting a lot of the benefit of the doubt on charge block calls. So don't be surprised to be frustrated by a couple of plays that Brad Davison might make defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we'll lean forward, 6'7", senior, 9 points a game, uh, 41 from the floor, 31 from 377 from the line. Yeah, you know, he's maybe the only guy in that starting lineup that you'd say has maybe been a little bit disappointing, and it's because he closed last season so well. Last season, over the last 10 games or so, when they really made their push to end up tying for the conference title, he was averaging 10-6. and six. Mm-hmm. And He's a guy who was first year at Wisconsin, first year he played, shot the ball very, very well from three, and then it's a struggle since then, and it's He's really the only guy in the starting lineup that you'd say is struggling shooting the three. And it's not a disaster, but it's just not where I think they hoped he might be. I think they hoped he might be at least a high 30s guy, and he hasn't been that so far. He gives them some versatility, though. Um, as you say, six seven, So he can play inside. He can even play some four if they need him to, but he's also obviously mostly a perimeter player offensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Nate Reavers, 6'10", senior, uh, 10.9 points a game, three rebounds, uh, and just almost one in a .6 blocks a game. Uh, 
Uh, also shooting well, 46, 47, and 80. Yeah, you know, what's weird is Reavers was the guy that I think most people thought was if there was going to be a star on this team, a guy who emerged as a, a first-team all-conference guy, I think most people were focusing on him. I would include myself in that category. He's been really good. You cited those numbers. They're all great. Mm. He isn't shooting enough, you know, and that's, and I don't think that's going to change because this is a very balanced team with all these veterans. These guys know how to play together and nobody really is dom- ball dominant. You know, if you think back just a couple of years ago to the way Wisconsin had to play with Ethan Happ where Ethan Happ was doing everything. Like the world for that revolved team. around him. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, he was making plays out of the post. He was obviously scoring a lot. Um, he was, everything flowed through him. That is not this team. This is back to more normal Wisconsin basketball for this last generation or so, where they play in a very balanced fashion. A lot of different guys get shots over the course of a game. You don't, you don't have one or two guys that are ball dominant. Uh, the, the disappointing thing would be Reavers hasn't rebounded the way I thought he would. Um, but he is providing shot, and that's worth mentioning, actually. The, you mentioned the shot blocks with him. Wisconsin is 23rd in the nation right now in block shot percentage. Mm-hmm. So that's the percentage of uh, possessions which feature a shot block for them defensively. They have over, I, I stopped looking after the last decade. So at, over the last 10 years, they've never even been as high as 90 nationally. So that is a defensive element for this team that has not typically been there. And it's, it's something we've talked about this at various points over the years. And it's certainly true in Michigan State's program as the points of emphasis and styles of play have changed in college basketball to where you have more of an emphasis on driving to the basket, mm. uh, a lot of layup attempts, um, you know, all of that, uh, that that's a, you know, guys dive into the rim, all of those things. There's been more of a premium placed on shot blocking. You know, Michigan State was never a team for the first, I don't know, 15 years, let's say, at least maybe more, of Tom Izzo's career. We're never a program that emphasized shot blocking because the thinking was guys who hunt shot blocks too often put themselves out of position to rebound. Um, and there's truth to that if you're hunting shot blocks. But I think what programs, including Michigan State's, have had to accept in recent years is with the way the game is played now, you really need to have some rim protection. Because just relying on physicality to bump guys off their spots and and limit them from getting the kind of shots they want or just knowing that teams are going to shoot mid-range jumpers against you, that's out the window. It just doesn't happen anymore. Mm-hmm. So there's much more of a need for it. And I don't know if it's a – I haven't seen anything from guards suggesting that that is a conscious change. I mean, as recently as last year, I think they were 94th. So they've gone from 94th to like 23rd uh, in shot block percentage. And Reavers is the main guy. But if you look at their team, it's Reavers at the top and then a bunch of guys – with like six in eight games or seven in eight games. It's kind of by committee, sort of the way Michigan State is. Mm-hmm. 
you know, Michigan State, you've got Aaron Henry and to some extent Marcus Bingham. And then after that, it's a bunch of guys who chip in. That's kind of the way Wisconsin is. It's Reavers and then a bunch of guys. But it's a notable difference between this Badger team and any other in recent years, at least, and maybe any other over the last 20 years or more. So maybe like more of a concerted effort on the help side to come over and block yeah. somebody rather it, than... It could be, and I haven't seen every game they've played, so I'd be hesitant to to try to answer as to the whys with any degree of um, uh, certainty, but that certainly would, would make some sense. Um, it could be that guys individually are just doing a better job. If, if you think back to Michigan State last year, for example, very high shot, and even this year, very high shot block percentage, but they're not, it's not a lot of weak side help doing that. It's a lot yeah. of guys blocking the shot man on man, right? Mm-hmm. You know, think about Xavier Tillman. That's how he did it. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't ranging over Ben Wallace style <laughs> coming from the weak side. And squatting shots away, he was just blocking the shot on his man mm-hmm. while playing sound man defense. And I, so I would guess there's probably some of that going on with Wisconsin. But anyway, it's the one thing that Reavers has done at a really high level. Uh, the shooting is great. He's just not shooting enough to score more. Uh, yeah, and Micah Potter, six eleven senior. Um, before I get into that, though, it, it, the strange thing is he doesn't have much blocks. One uh, block, right? Yeah. And you'd think, <laughs> yeah. well, maybe it's because they got two big six ten, six eleven guys. But yeah. Um, however, he is uh, their leading scorer: thirteen point four points a game, seven and a half rebounds, fifty three and forty eight from three, and eighty four from the line. Yeah. So he's I, really I, taking a step here. Well, I had said before the season that. I was still a little hesitant to buy in completely on Micah Potter. Not as a good player. I knew he was a good player. He proved it. He, he looked like he had all the signs of breaking out when he was at Ohio State. But he shot, I forget what his three-point percentage was last year, but it was right in the ballpark of where he's at now. Yeah, 45. And Okay, and I remember saying, I'm not sure that I'm ready to buy in to the idea that that's what Micah Potter is. I still felt like, you know, he played basically, what, two-thirds of a season mm-hmm. last year. Maybe that was a hot streak. He never shot nearly that well at Ohio State. I, you know, I figured he if, if he would have been a mid-to-high-30s guy this year, I wouldn't have been surprised. Well, at this point, I mean, we got a long way to go. His numbers could come down, but he's doing it again. So at some stage, and I'm at that stage where I'm ready to just admit, okay, this probably is who he in fact is. He, he's just been a huge addition for them. I mean, I think they thought when they got him, I mentioned he started his career at Ohio State, transferred to Wisconsin. Um, I'm trying to think. I think it was, I think it was after Fad Mata left. But I can't recall for sure when that transfer took place, um, and I, I can't recall either if he played for Holtman at all or not. But in any event, he was recruited by Thad Mata. That much I know. Wisconsin thought he'd be a big help, and I figured he would help. I didn't see this coming. Mm-hmm. He's the guy I mentioned a second ago. I thought if anybody was going to be a first-team All-Conference guy, it would probably be Reavers. Right now, based on the start, you would say Potter is the guy. 
who's in that, putting up those kind of numbers. He leads them in scoring and rebounding. His shooting numbers are off the charts. He's a very good interior defensive player in their system, despite the lack of shot blocks. Um, just does a lot of things that matter for them, and he's been a better player than I ever expected him to be. He's just been really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I mean, when he came back last year, he he missed maybe the first – 10 games he missed, or so. Uh, I, think, I think pretty much all the non-conference, I think. Yeah, a little bit. Of the, he, yep, all the way up. They, they missed the first two conference games that were kind of in the beginning. Okay, in the December conference mm-hmm. games, right. So he ended up playing 18 Big Ten games. Yeah. So, yeah, and then they, you know, Wisconsin finished off last year with on an eight-game winning streak. So yeah. it looks like yeah, they got it figured out at, at by the end there. Absolutely. And and if you remember, and I know we talked about this in season preview, if you remember, they were at a point where they, their start was not great in the Big Ten. And then they lost Kobe King, who at the time was the leading scorer and, and a guy who gave them a dynamic element athletically they otherwise lacked. You know, mm-hmm. all five of the starters we've talked about thus far, really good players and they do good things. They don't have athletes. If you go back to that team, that 2015 team that went to the title game Mm -hmm. I mentioned, that team had a couple of guys that had a Sam Decker in particular who gave them an element this team doesn't have. Kobe King, in the starting lineup at least, Kobe King was kind of that, and then he decides to leave, and there was controversy about the why that he was leaving. It really felt like Greg Gard was on the ropes. But then... Pretty much from that point on, Potter started to really play well and influence what was going on with their team. The absence of King seemed to somehow galvanize them as a group, and lo and behold, they end up going on a hot streak to end the season, and they win a share of the title. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you can trace a lot of good things to Micah Potter becoming eligible. I don't think it's coincidence entirely. Uh, so off the bench, Jonathan Davis, six four freshman, um, seven point nine points a game, four point one rebounds in twenty two minutes, uh, and shooting the ball well, forty six, forty four, and sixty nine. This may be the little bit of a surprise. I don't think anybody expected him to be quite that accurate from deep. Now he's not taking a lot of them. Mm-hmm. I think he's only got nine attempts on the year from three out of like. I don't know, like 60 shots from the floor. So he's, but, but that's a sign of a smart player because it means that he's only, or one way you can interpret it is he's only taking really good deep jumpers. You know, he's not forcing anything. He's playing within himself. And so the three point shots he is taking are ones that are makeable for him and he's being rewarded for that judgment. This is a guy who's a, a really good, this is a, this whole situation is a good example of why sometimes you've got to be a little bit suspicious of the national recruiting guys and take a little more seriously locals. Mm-hmm. He, and, he was not a top 100 recruit last year, but Wisconsin people were all in on he and his brother, but especially he. he's got a twin who's on the team who's not playing very much, but, but he is. And they were all in on him. And when there was all that drama around the Kobe King departure, the concern was, 
that at least among Wisconsin fans is that they might lose the Davis twins as well, which was seen as a big deal if it happened. Now, again, if you look at his rankings and by the recruiting services, mm-hmm. you would have thought, well, who cares? It's a, a top 150 guy, not in the top 100. Okay. That, but, but Wisconsin people knew that he was going to be a guy who had an impact well beyond that. And, and as I mentioned a while ago, Wisconsin is not generally a, a program that gives a lot of playing time to freshmen, to true freshmen. Um, they'll do it in certain situations, like when Davison was a freshman or when Trice was a freshman, where there's just a need. Mm. But generally speaking, you have a hard time earning a lot of minutes as a freshman. Davis is playing 22 minutes a game. And he gives them an element that, that I talked about they don't otherwise have. He's 6'4", he's athletic, he's physical. He's just, he's a little bit different kind of player than they typically have. And, and in that starting lineup, they don't really have anybody like him. So he gives them something that fits. You know, he's a, he's a guy that they can, that guard can use as a piece mm-hmm. to do certain things in a game that, that he might need done that his starters just can't deliver physically. Yeah, five this, rebounds this at six four. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, he's he's going to be I, I feel pretty confident in this that, you know, after this year, assuming these guys leave and that they don't all return on Moss, which they might do, might be able to do, but let's assume <laughs> oh my goodness. let's assume for argument's sake that they decide to leave. Um He's going to be the guy, I think, who's the face of the next phase of Wisconsin basketball. That I don't think I'm going out on a limb in saying that. I think he's going to be the next guy mm-hmm. in that program. Uh, and then Tyler Wall, 6'7", sophomore, uh, averaging 4.8 points a game, 4.5 rebounds in 22 minutes, uh, 44, 22, and 63. Yeah, he was a, a redshirt freshman who was able – I think he was a redshirt freshman last year. But anyway, he was one of the, again, a rarity, a young player who was able to play a lot, uh, but in a reserve role. And he helped them, but his numbers weren't great. I figured he'd be improved, and I think he is. The three-point shot still wasn't dialed in yet, but he's a nice player to have because he, he brings some versatility to them. He's six seven. He can play inside. They can also use him a little bit, at least against certain wings. Mm-hmm. Um, probably not a good bet to guard everybody, but certain guys he can. Um, and he just brings a toughness. I mean, just you, you watch him when he when he hits the floor tomorrow. You're gonna look at him and say, "I've seen a hundred guys like this with Wisconsin <laughs> over the years." That's he's just a good basketball player. Does a number of different things reasonably well. Uh, and then Trevor Anderson, 6'3", senior, uh, 4.4 points a game, fit in about 15 minutes. 81, Get ready. 86 and 50. 86? Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's, he's missed one three-pointer thus far this year. Now, this is a guy who's really struggled shooting the ball in previous years at Wisconsin. He, he started out at Green Bay in his career and then ended up transferring to Wisconsin. Hadn't made a big impact until this year. Again, He's another one of these guys you're going to look at him and say, I've seen this guy. Hasn't he been there for 20 years? No. There have just been guys who looked and played a lot like him mm-hmm. for 20 years. Um, obviously, if you shoot 80-some percent from the floor 
and from three, you're pretty tough to deal with. He's not taking a lot of shots. You have to keep that in mind. But uh, what he's done thus far is give them very steady reserve guard play. And he's really all they need. You know, between Trice and Davison and Anderson, they've got the guard, the true guard spots pretty well covered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Ben Carlson, 6'9", freshman, 10 minutes a game, 3.3 points, uh, rebound, 55 from the floor, 33 and 88 from the line. Yeah, he's he's played in six of their eight games, so it's not a lock that we'll see him, but I'm guessing we do against Michigan State, mm-hmm. at least for a cameo. And not playing a ton of minutes, he's, he's one of those guys that, again, I, I keep saying the same thing, but... At Wisconsin over the years, over and over and over, we have seen big men come in. They don't play a lot when they're young or sometimes don't play at all. And over the course of a couple years in their system, all of a sudden they start to see the court. You know, where did this guy come from? Says he's a sophomore or a junior. I don't remember seeing him. Well, that's because you didn't see him or you didn't see him much. And all of a sudden he's putting up 12 and 8. Mm-hmm. On you. It's happened over and over and over. He's the next guy. I think he's a virtual lock to be whenever Potter and Reavers are gone, he will be a starter at one of those post spots mm-hmm. and probably a long-term starter. Um, you know, has needs to put on a little more weight, but that'll happen. Um, he's skilled. You know, all the things you expect from a Wisconsin big man. Carlson brings to the table. Uh, so that's probably all we'll see. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't, they got I don't a lot it. of minutes in that starting lineup. Yep. Yeah, and this is you know, guard goes a little deeper into his rotation than Bo Ryan. Did. Bo Ryan was a guy who like max seven guys typically. You know, his five starters and a couple guys off the bench, and that would be it. Um, guard expands his playing group a little bit more than that. You're guaranteed, I think, to see eight. And I'm going to guess that Carlson sees the floor at some point, so I think it'll be nine. Mm-hmm. But as you say, <clears throat> there's still a lot of guys playing 30-plus minutes in that starting group. And, and you can do it playing Wisconsin style. You know, at Michigan State, it's really hard. For guys to average, this is a, a distinction some fans still, after all these years, don't appreciate. Michigan State's system is one that is not built for a lot of guys to play heavy minutes like that, you know, because mm-hmm. the emphasis is on running. And when you play that way, if you want to play it effectively, you need people to be fresh on the floor. And so that requires that you play a little deeper rotation. Wisconsin plays, and this year's no exception. A very controlled pace. You know, on offense, they're going to work the ball. They don't, they don't play exclusively the swing offense that was a big feature of Bo Ryan's style for years at Wisconsin, but it's still a motion based passing system that doesn't necessarily rely on a call play to go in any particular direction, but it is going to usually mean that they move the ball a lot before they take a shot. So they use up time on the offensive end, and then on the defensive end, they really tend to, there tends to be a lot of clock because the pack line is not easy to get a good look against. 
You, again, have to move the ball typically against them quite a bit in any possession to get a good look. So um, when you play that way, it enables you to keep your primary guys on the floor. They're not getting taxed as much physically because they're not running up and down 94 feet constantly. It's a more relaxed pace. Mm -hmm. Uh, So as for the keys, um, defense is the number one key here. Uh, yeah, and we're talking about Michigan State's defense here. Yeah, and look, the the defense is down to fiftieth in Ken Palm. Um, yeah, yeah, which is pretty low. I mean, the lowest I can remember it for a long time. Yeah, what uh, they, what is wrong here? I mean, we knew that it was going to go down after last game pretty pretty well, but. Well, yeah, I mean, the North, the, they got what they deserved. They actually, you know, it was in okay shape coming out of the non-conference, but that Northwestern game, that'll happen when you let a team shoot 50-some percent mm-hmm. from the floor against you and hit all those threes. I mean, that that's what'll happen. Um, that Northwestern game was such a disaster that I don't even know. I and mean, we talked about it in the post game, right? Everything that could go wrong that could be played poorly was played poorly. Um, I personally think it has to start with the perimeter group. I've been very disappointed um, in that group, with the exception of Aaron Henry and to a small extent Foster Lawyer. Uh, but but Foster is on a different grading curve, so I don't want to emphasize that he's been better than he's the best he's ever been in his career, and he's actually played better than some other guys who have vastly more in the way of horsepower athletically than he's got. But Aaron Henry, up until the Northwestern game, had been really, 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 really good individually. Like, among the best in the country good. And then he was terrible against Northwestern, too. He just joined everybody else. Uh, that cannot happen. This is going to be a different challenge. At Wisconsin, probably you're not going to see them look to penetrate as much as we've seen lately from some of MSU's opponents, because that's just not what they do. That said, if I were Greg Gard, I would take seriously, having seen film on Michigan State, the idea that maybe Demetri Trice and Brad Davison should kind of probe and test Michigan State. But I don't know that they will very much. What they're, what Wisconsin is going to force Michigan State to do is to be on high alert on the perimeter in general, though. Mm-hmm. We, we mentioned that they're top ten in the country in shooting threes. And in terms of percentage, and they'll take a fair amount of them, and it's all five guys in the starting lineup. I mean, truthfully, everybody they'll play, all nine guys we think they'll play, can take a three. There's nobody who's not a threat. Now, Wall is not very reliable, but other than that, you know, everybody else, the numbers would suggest you got to take them seriously. So that's going to put a strain on Michigan State. And then, of course, you have to be careful against Wisconsin. You know, some of the other things we saw Northwestern do, back cutting and and all that, Wisconsin will do that to you as well. They will read a defense and force you to to keep your head on a swivel, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, They'll set aggressive picks. Michigan State's got to be good at getting over those. They can't be lazy, and they can't be late. So they're going to get tested. This is an offense that the other thing, as we were just talking about the pace that they play at, 
they it, there's a big big emphasis this kind of harkens back to some of the things we talked about in the pregame for Virginia that didn't happen when you play a team like this that will use up a lot of the shot clock and isn't likely to make a mistake what it means for you defensively is it puts a real strain on you you have to stay locked in for 30 seconds you can't let your attention wane when the clock gets to 25 mm. They're not going to panic, you know, in a late shot. They live in late shot clock situations, you know, and so that puts an onus on you defensively to keep that focus locked in, and we'll see if Michigan State's up to it. You know, I watched Izzo's um, press conference today, and he seemed in a reasonably decent mood. He feels like they worked a lot of things out the last two or three days, Um and I would imagine a lot of what he's talking about is on the defensive end, so we'll see. Yeah, because, I mean, is it a little concerning with these stretch fives or fours or fives? Like they certainly have at Wisconsin, Potter and Reavers. It seems like that's been a little bit of an issue for Michigan State at times because, you know, I'm not sure that Bingham's able to get out on those guys as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a problem for Marcus Bingham. I'd agree, I'd agree with that. Um, for sure. Uh, and I do worry about, you know, it, Wisconsin's not a heavy, heavy, heavy pick and roll team, but they certainly have guys capable of doing that. And that's another way they get challenged. Bingham. And I think, I think Julius Marble struggles more in that area than people would hope. Um, you know, this is another game where I personally think now, now Joey Hauser, it's worth mentioning. Izzo said they, they've done checks on his knee. No structural damage. They just think it was a slight sprain. They held him out of practice yesterday, which was Tuesday. Today, as we're recording this Wednesday, he did about two-thirds of the practice. They held him out of the other third for precautionary reasons, and then they're going to see how he reacts to that. But Izzo sounded pretty optimistic that he's going to be okay, and I I thought he moved Mm -hmm. reasonably fine when he came back into that Northwestern game. So assuming he's healthy... Yeah, like a, it, it looked like he just a little bit of a torque, like a twist. Yeah, that's Those how things. I saw. It. But they're being cautious as they need to be. But uh, I would expect we're going to see him full go on Friday. Well, Hauser and Hauser's a Wisconsin kid. Let's not forget that so he's mm-hmm. going to be motivated here. He knows a lot of these guys because they've got a lot of guys. They've got guys either. From, I'm trying to think who's from the state. Well, Reavers and Davison are from. Maybe not, actually. <laughs> Some of Trevor Anderson, he knows very well. I believe they played in high school together. Um, so there's a few guys he knows. Their starting lineup are kids from Minnesota or Ohio. They're not necessarily Wisconsin kids, but I'm sure he knows those guys just from the summers, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's going to be highly motivated. I personally think here's what's going to be interesting. I would say because of what you've mentioned, what you're going to want to see is a heavy diet of the Joey Hauser Malik Hall yeah. at the post. But let's keep in mind, MSU's given up some pretty serious size. Mm. This is one of those rare opponents where you know Wisconsin's going to play two six ten, six eleven guys out there, and unlike some other teams that might do that, Illinois, um, they don't seem to pay for it very much defensively. So they can do it. Guards, that's their starting lineup. Guards going to roll with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that Malik and Joey can hang in there. 
against these guys. I don't think that, you know, Potter and, and Reavers, for as good as they are, neither one of them has been like an absolute post destroyer. It's not like you're facing Isaac Haas or Biggie Swanigan or, or that. Mm-hmm. So I think they can get away with that, but it'll be interesting to see how much Michigan State counters with that. I should also mention, um, particularly on the internet, I see a lot of Thomas Kithier being, uh, called out as this year's whipping boy. I guess Foster's hit a few too many threes to <laughs> fall into that category this year, so now it's Kithier. Izzo said today exactly what I've been saying over and over and over. When people say, why is Thomas Kithier starting? Why is he playing the minutes? First of all, he's only averaging about 11 minutes a game. So it's not like you could say, well, Izzo's been playing him 25. Why is that happening? Mm-hmm. But Izzo said, Kithier does everything right, except he's not shooting enough. Well, I would agree with that. I think he has not been, he's passed on good shots. We said that in, was it the Oakland game, I think? He had a couple of opportunities where he was wide open for a layup and he he still passed out. And it happened again against Northwestern a time or two. Mm -hmm. Other than that, though, people have to understand basketball is about a lot more than counting stats. And at Michigan State, there is always going to be a premium on being responsible defensively so you can you can switch and not get blown up. You can play pick-and-roll defense and not get blown up. You can defend in the post and not get blown up. Uh, you're going to rebound some. You're going to make the right decision passing the ball. You're going to set good picks. Thomas Kithier does all of those things very, very well. That's coming from, you don't want to believe me? Fine. Listen to Tom Izzo. He just told you today. So... I think Thomas Kithier is going to see minutes in this game for sure. He's going to be starting. Izzo addressed that. They're not making they're not making a change in the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. So he's going to start. I think he'll see a lot of time because I think they feel they can trust him. I think the Hall-Hauser combo will see a lot of time as well. Beyond that, how much Markey and Julius play, I don't know. This might not be a game where you can rely on those guys. Mm-hmm. You know, because it all, it all comes back to the defense. If you can't guard people at Michigan State, you can't play. And people, you know, there's this, I understand why, but it's an overreaction and it's kind of ahistorical in terms of failing to realize what years and years and years of Michigan State basketball should have taught you. Julius Marble had a great game against Duke. Scoring. A really good game. Mm-hmm. And he's got talent. And I'm a believe, I'm still a believer that long term he's going to figure it out. But I'll tell you something. In that Northwestern game, he was terrible defensively. Terrible. He didn't deserve any more time than he got, in my opinion. I watched it and I watched him completely fail to handle the action that Northwestern's bigs were running. So if he can't defend, it doesn't matter that he can hit a jump hook or two. Mm-hmm. He can't stay on the floor. can't do it. So, yeah, we, we will see. I have confidence in those three guys I mentioned, though, at least in theory, being able to hang with Wisconsin's big men when they're out on the arc. Those guys should be able to do the job. They're certainly mobile enough. They're aware enough. They just have to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the second key, rebounding. Yeah, well, we mentioned, you know, Wisconsin 
is not a team that's really built to challenge what's been an inconsistency for Michigan State, which is their defensive rebounding. Wisconsin's not going to send four to the boards. You know, that's not going to happen. So I don't anticipate Michigan State having huge issues with defensive rebounding. If they do, it's a problem. Mm. Um, at the other end, you know, this MSU team, we talked about it. They had, what was it, like 11 offensive rebounds against Northwestern, but no yeah. second chance points. That's not good. Wisconsin is like good Wisconsin teams typically are. They do a very good job on the defensive glass. They tend, when you miss a shot, they tend to end a possession. So Michigan State's going to have to work hard to get second chances, but they need to find some. Because, mm-hmm. you know, in these games, and the next key is probably not going to be surprising to anybody who listens to these things. There's two areas that can get your scoring attempts out of whack, off kilter. And it's rebounding and turnovers. And you're going to expect that there will probably be a negative, you know, a deficit for Michigan State on the turnover side to some extent. So they need to make that up somehow. They either got to really outshoot Wisconsin, and the way this Wisconsin team's shooting, I'm not sure how much I like those odds, or they've got to do the job on the glass. So it would be nice to see some better offensive rebounding. I'd like to see Michigan State's wings getting in the act. You know, I think Aaron Henry's generally been the, it's been the best rebounding season of his career thus far. Yeah. But it mostly shows up on the defensive end. You don't see Aaron really crash in the boards. And I think he's got that in him. I, I think we need to see more of that. We definitely need to see more of that out of Gabe Brown. Um, Josh Langford has shown it in flashes, but Josh Langford's always had flashes of that in his career. He's never been able to sustain it. It would be nice to see that happen. Mm. Um, so then, like, the third key turnovers. Uh, as you mentioned, the one bright spot in the Northwestern game uh, from MSU was that they didn't turn the ball over very much. Right. Yeah, and and look, they may be able to do that again, but it's going to be a low possession game, much lower possession game than Northwestern was. So turn the importance of the mistakes you do make are going to be more magnified. Um, I would love to see Michigan State have another performance like that. Um, I'm not going to bet on it. I'm going to bet there might be a few. You know, there's going to be a little bit of a deficit, but the key is keeping it reasonable. If MSU, if it's like. 10-7 in turnovers in Wisconsin's favor, something like that. Okay. That's, that's not a deficit that should worry you. You should, you should be able to, to work with that. What would be more concerning is if it's a six, seven, eight turnover deficit. That's where it gets to be a problem. Mm-hmm. And then the only way out of that hole is unless there's just a weird shooting performance both ways or you just kill them on the glass. So I think the safer bet is keep the turnovers reasonable. Mm-hmm. You give yourself a better chance. Uh, and then the fourth key, uh, Rocket Watts. Yeah, I, I, I'm as I think about it, I think thus far at least there's no better barometer for Michigan State than Rocket Watts. When he's good, they're good. When he's not good, they're not good. Mm-hmm. Um. They can look. I I think that I think that Foster Lawyer is having about the best year I could have anticipated his having. 
you know, when I thought about what he might be capable of doing, we came into the yeah. season, you know, is this guy even going to be able to prove that he warrants a role as a backup at the Big Ten level? And I think he's proven that. But there's no question that Michigan State needs Rocket Watts playing at a very high level in order to do um, anything close to what we had hoped for coming into the season in order to come anywhere close to that potential. Mm-hmm. And that's at both ends. That's a troubling thing is that last year you didn't know what you were going to get from him night to night offensively, at least until the end of the season when he got to be pretty consistent. But all year long, he was a rock defensively. This season, he's been flat out bad more often than not. He was good against Notre Dame, really good. He was really good against Duke. Other, and he was pretty good against U of D. Other than that, it's been bad. And the, and the Northwestern game was awful. Mm-hmm. Boo Boo, we just abused him. And, and that shouldn't happen. Rocket Watts has a year's worth of track record and all the physical tools to suggest that he should not only be a capable defender, he should be a very, very high-level one. So it's not like we're saying, oh, he's not like last year, I think, to back to a guy like Xavier Simpson at Michigan. You know, had this all-world reputation defensively. And then as a senior, he wasn't as good. But you know what? He wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. He didn't go from best defender in the league to off-the-charts bad. Rocket Watts is a lot closer to that so far, and that can't happen. Mm-hmm. He saw that that troubles me so much more. People again they get hung up on the offensive end because it's the simple thing for people to understand. Well, the guy's not making shots. That, yeah, I can live with that. I can live with Rocket Watts having an off game or two or three shooting the basketball. What you can't live with is him being a turnstile. Mm-hmm. That will get you beat. You know, if you look at really, if you look at the numbers compared to last year for him offensively, they're basically the same. Twenty eight percent for three last year, twenty nine this year, forty six yeah. from the floor, fifty last year, eighty four from the line, eighty last year. Uh, but his assist rate is dramatically higher, almost sure. double what it was I, last I, year. And that's see, and there's your point, I, and that's what I'm trying to get at. I think offensively, he's mostly been okay. He was not good at all against Northwestern. He was struggling to hit threes against Oakland. I thought he did other things well. I think he had like six assists against Oakland, so he did mm-hmm. other things well. He just didn't hit some shots. That That's Rocket Watts. I don't think Rocket Watts is ever going to be a guy, if you're waiting for it, that's going to be a 48% three-point shooter. He's just not that guy. He's always been a little bit streaky, because his shot selection can get a little bit out of whack at times. And so he's just not going to be that. But he he will can and will be better than where he's at right now. If you told me before the season he was going to be at 29% from three, I would have characterized that as a disappointment. Mm-hmm. But you know what? He was in the high 30s through the first five games. Uh, yeah, and it's been the last two where he's like a combined one for 15 or something that's taken him all the way down to where he's at now. So I'm not worried about the offensive end. I, I actually think he's he's been, in that sense, offensively, he's proven to me that he can handle the position well enough. Yeah, I mean, that's you know? the one thing he improved on was what we right. were looking for. Can he run the team and exactly. pass the ball? I'm not on? worried about that. But the problem is, 
when he's as bad as he's been defensively, you can't play him the kind of minutes you want to play him mm-hmm. because he's getting torched. And that's where you end up in a situation where Foster Lawyer's playing 20-some minutes. Because if you told me there was going to be any game this season where I would say Foster Lawyer's a better defensive option than Rocket Watts, unless you were also telling me that he was playing on one leg, I wouldn't have believed it. <laughs> but it's been true, and not just against Northwestern either. So that's got to change. And and if it doesn't, if he comes out and doesn't play well against Wisconsin, Michigan State's, I'm going to say, got an almost impossible task to win this game. Mm. He doesn't have to be the best player on the floor, but he's got to be good. Uh, and then post-offense is the fifth key. I like this one, yeah. Rod, because it, you know, for all that you're trying to figure out what to do with their big guys – um, you, you would think there'd be an opportunity uh, to attack them with two giant, you know, twin tower deal. Well, they, yes, they do make it. I will say, going back to their defensive approach, the pack line makes it hard. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily have a, a super easy time um, getting Z post buckets, but they're there. And Michigan State's got guys, I think, who can play effectively in the post. Joey Hauser has been very efficient when he's been around the blocks. They don't go to it enough. And whether that's him or what MSU was trying to do offensively or a combination of the two, I I can't say, but I just know that they're not going to it enough. Aaron Henry, there will be points in games where they will try to establish him in the post, and it's always a good idea because I think he's very difficult to guard down there, and then they go away from it. Malik Hall probably has been the most consistent guy down there. They need to go to him more. If you can play Julius Marble, if he's okay defensively and you can hang with him, he's a guy who's capable of playing on the block. So they've got guys. Mm-hmm. They just need to use it more. I, I saw that you know Jim Camperoni had a post on the Spartan Mag board where he was lamenting that, that Michigan State's offense just doesn't look the way a typical Michigan State offense would look in terms of the kind of shots they generate, that they they settle too much. And I, I agree with the fact that I think they settle. The Northwestern game, as we talked about, the frustrating thing wasn't that they took bad shots. Most of the shots they took were actually shots that you would define as open. But they're still not the best shots maybe that they could get. Mm. There was an impatience there and a lack of concerted focus and effort on moving the ball inside. And that's what's got to happen more than we've seen it because they've got guys. You know, it's one thing if you look at it and you say, we just don't have guys who can play well with their back to the basket. You know, okay, then it's probably not worth trying to use it as any more than a decoy. But they've got guys, multiple guys. I just listed four. Mm. Um, they got to make better use of them. Wisconsin will make it tough. I'm not saying that I think it's got to be a steady, steady, steady diet of it, but they've got to do more of it than they did. And and when they get that established, it's going to make the quality of the three-point looks even better still. Mm. Uh, and, uh, just a side note, uh, I, it seems to me like uh, I recall seeing Aaron Henry have like a mid-range make um, – at some point during that Northwestern game. Mm-hmm. And and Josh Langford seemed like he was going to the mid-range a little bit more. Does that yeah. seem like something – obviously that's not a, a 
the the numbers don't tell us that that's an efficient shot. But I, I start to think that maybe for somebody like Langford or uh, Aaron Henry, maybe that is for those particular guys, and they're still you know well, skill set. Maybe it is a more. Efficient I haven't shot. I haven't looked at the data on it this year, but anecdotally, I would. I would lean toward that. Aaron Henry, for sure, seems to be, for whatever reason, much more comfortable, say, two to three feet inside the arc than he is just outside of it. Yeah. So all the analytics tell you that's a bad shot. I get that. But when a guy can make it at a high rate and he's not capable of making the three, now one answer might be, well, then you should be playing somebody else. Well, Michigan State's not going to play somebody else. They need to play Aaron Henry. But I do think for him, and for Josh, you know, where I think it's okay, where I'm okay with it with Josh, in years past, Josh was king of the bad two. Mm-hmm. He would dri- he would have an open or semi-open look from three and dribble into a contested two. He used to do it a lot before he got hurt. This year, I haven't seen as much of that. What I've seen him do is when the three isn't falling, he then seems to turn to that to try to get himself back on track. And I'm much yeah. more comfortable with that. I think he's t- it's better shot selection. So, no, I, I don't think you're wrong with those two guys. And I don't think, look, if you've got guys that can make that shot and it's open, that's okay. I mean, a, a defense will will say most coaches will say that's a shot they're comfortable giving up mm-hmm. you know and i understand all the reasons why and mathematically analytically it's sound but you can still get beat by giving up that shot and michigan state does have guys he calls a guy to hit that shot we've seen julius marvel do it joey hauser can do it they got a lot of guys rocket watts they got a lot of guys that can hit if they're there for the taking I think you have to take them as long as you're not settling. Yeah. You know? And I, I, I have not objected to what I've seen in that regard thus far. Whereas I am objecting to the fact that I don't think they try to do nearly enough on the blocks. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, you know, any final thoughts on this one, Ron? You know, you hate to say the second game of the year is a, in conference play is big. And I, and I don't think it's, look, if you lose this game, okay, that's a team that's a title contender. It's the second game of the year. We haven't even hit January. You got a long way to go, right? It wouldn't be the end of the world. But I think because of the circumstances behind how they played at Northwestern, it's important for this team to get that taste out of their mouths. I would say this. If they lose, but they play well, Wisconsin just plays a little better, that will be okay. Mm. It's about how they play, you know, more than the result. They need to, I think they need to see themselves play well for 40 minutes, you know. That would be a step forward, regardless of the result. I happen to believe if they play well, they're almost certainly going to win. Um, Michigan State has one advantage over Wisconsin, as I see it. One macro advantage. They have a, they have more horsepower than Wisconsin's got. What I mean by that is they've got guys that 
are a little more gifted athletically in general, overall. Uh, they've got guys who can do some things athletically that Wisconsin can't overall. And that gives you a chance. When we have seen, you know, you think back to all the classic Michigan State-Wisconsin games over the last 20 years. Usually, when Michigan State wins, that is the difference. Mm-hmm. The difference is that they play a smart enough game so that Wisconsin's precision doesn't beat them. And then Michigan State's advantages in athletic or quote-unquote talent, which always gets into a gray area to what people mean or think they mean by that, but let's just use it. Michigan State's athleticism and talent overcomes Wisconsin. When they lose to Wisconsin, it's usually because Michigan State isn't precise enough. Mm. Wisconsin is sharper at both ends. So that's kind of how this Wisconsin team is playing exactly the way you figured they would. They're experienced. They know how to play in their system. They've got guys who have skill sets that fit within that, and they're playing at a very high level along those lines. Michigan State has not been nearly as consistent, but Michigan State has – a gear or two at the top end that Wisconsin doesn't have, mm. in my opinion. And if and if they play close enough in terms of their efficiency, that probably gets them over the top. Okay, well, this one's um, I've seen two different times for this one, Rod. Twelve thirty, and I've seen twelve in some places. I I think. 12 may be the start of coverage, and 12.30 is tip time. Okay. That's how I've interpreted it. Okay, yeah, they'll probably have some extended coverage because of the holiday. Right. Um, okay. Well, until then, the Final Four is not on the schedule. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.